my contract said it had to be an R rating. Unless, oh, come on. It's a non-explicit American comedy starring Tracy Ullman, for God's sake. This is not a real dirty movie. So I sent it. I was a little nervous. And I got the call, and they said NC-17. And I said, I'm kind of really surprised. And the man said, you are surprised? I said, uh-oh. And I said, well, what could I cut? And they said, to be honest, we stopped taking notes. That's when my blood turned to ice water, because that's what you fear the most. When they say, from overall, that's the reason, which means, and they said, there's a thousand brush strokes in this. You can't cut ten. And I was very, I think, fair about sexuality. I was responsible. I made, they were safe sex. It might be perverted, but it's safe. You can't get pregnant. You can't get AIDS. What's the matter? I think from what I read now, in eighth grade, girls give blowjobs routinely. Well, if I was a parent, I hope they were sploshing instead of giving blowjobs. But I'm, I think what it said to me this time, this rating was, not only can't you make a movie where you show sex all through it, you can't even talk about sex all through it. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum! Astral Radio Z is a horror, cult, exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics, musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. Here is your host, Derek Terry. Welcome all you neuters out there. I hope that the concussion you just had didn't hurt too much because you've come to the right place. We're here on our final John Waters episode to talk about the one, the only, a dirty shame. So let's get ready and let's go sexing. My gal is red hot. Your gal ain't doodle as well. My gal is red hot. Your gal ain't doodle as well. Well, she ain't got no money, but man, she's really got a lot. Well, I got a gal, six feet four. With me tonight, of course is the crew of individuals that have been with me for, it's been over a year. I believe we started this journey back in April of 2016. And I am actually a little heartbroken that this will be the last episode we do on John Waters on Astro Radio Z here. I know we had talked about doing these episodes all the way back on episode four, the Nightmare on Elm Street retrospective. I think I had dropped hints of doing this. I think I dropped hints of doing a retrospective episode on John Waters for like maybe three or four episodes in a row. I kept talking about it and Andrew and I kept talking about it. This has been single-handedly the best set of episodes that I think we've done on this show. This has been the most fun that I've had doing any of the episodes because traditionally on Astro Radio Z, we like to talk about a lot of really shitty movies, a lot of really shitty movies. So to take time out to celebrate an auteur 
I know that sounds rather pretentious to say so, but I mean, we're talking, we're looking at the entire filmography of a director, an artist. I personally feel he's very much an artist. It makes me very sad that we have to, this has to come to an end because I personally hate the fact that there are no more John Waters movies after this one tonight. So thank you everybody that have sat with us for over a year listening to these John Waters episodes and reaching out to me. It's been a very eye-opening experience for me that this is the series of episodes that have kind of brought everybody out of the woodwork, um, including one of my guests tonight. Uh, Scott Bradley runs a podcast called Hellbent for Horror. If you haven't heard it, what the fuck is wrong with you? Where have you been? What the hell is going on in your life? Because it needs to be part of your life. You need to go over to iTunes or whatever podcatcher you use in order to listen to the podcast and go subscribe to Hellbent for Horror. But Scott reached out to me because he was one of these nameless, not nameless anymore, nameless people that were listening to these John Waters episodes and said, hey, man, I'm loving what the fuck you guys are doing. I did one as well. And all I got to say is the John Waters episode you did, Scott, was awesome it was so well crafted uh what you wrote and what you had to say was so spot on i agreed with it was a pleasure to sit and listen to so i had to bring you on to at least one of these episodes and unfortunately we only have one left so (laughs) you get to come on a dirty shame so thank you for joining us tonight Oh, thank you. And uh, thanks uh, for having me. First off, thanks for that uh, amazing start. I should just like shut off now, leave on a high (laughs) note. But uh, I'm glad that you enjoyed the episode. Uh, And I've really enjoyed going into your back uh, log and going through all these different films because I too feel that he's an auteur. I mean, he created a genre unto himself, right? So that's pretty good uh, to be able to do. But they've been a ton of fun. The only thing that's bad about going to the backlog is that there's not a dial-in phone (laughs) that you can call up and say, I don't think I agree with that. And uh, because there were many times that the conversation was so good and moving uh, forward very uh, briskly that you really get caught up in it and you start finding yourself talking to yourself uh, going, well, I don't know if I agree with that. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, we don't claim to be experts here on Astral Radio Z. We just claim to have voices that won't shut up or mouths that won't <laughs> shut up. <laughs> so thank you for coming on. And now you're going to be one of these voices that won't shut up tonight on this filthy ass movie. So thank you for coming on. Next to him, of course, is Mr. Baltimore himself, Mr. Seth Bolin of CelluloidTerror.com. How you doing, my fine friend? Hey, hon. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Doing good. Kind of sad that this uh, this journey is coming to an end. Well, we are going to be, well, at least we had talked about it. We are going to be doing a series of episodes on Russ Meyer, hopefully, Mm -hmm. next year. I'm going to push it off a little bit. I, I've scheduled out the entire run of Astro Radio Z for the rest of this year. And I put one of the, I forget what month it is. I'd have to look it up. And right now, even though I have the internet in front of me and it could be instantaneous because I edit all of this stuff, I just don't feel like doing it. One of the months coming up, we have what I'm calling a director's month where each week is going to be one exploitation director. And we have Doris Wishman, uh, I have mm-hmm. a Coffin Joe movie. I have um, a Russ Meyer movie mm-hmm. and a Ray Dennis Steckler movie. 
And nice. so, so we want to do at least and Andrew and I have talked about it quite a bit, uh, a series on Russ Meyer. Now, we haven't decided whether or not we're going to get as involved as we did with John Waters, but um, we are going to hand select uh, a bunch of maybe some of his more uh, some of the films we can actually talk about. Because let's be honest, some of them. Today. <laughs> right. <laughs> Other than boobs, boobs are bouncing and running all over the place. So uh, I don't know how much more we could talk about that, but hopefully we'll be doing some more episodes uh, on just specific directors. Andrew, um, if there were any episodes on uh, Russ Meyer that you would want to do, what would be like the top movie top you'd Russ, probably pick? Top Russ Meyer movie that I would pick? Yeah. Oh, man. Probably Vixen because of all the, the racial stuff that's in there. Mm hmm because that's something he never kind of really went back to or up just because of how fucking bananas that movie is oh that's the craziest flip. it is crazy i mean he was totally senile when he made that <laughs> and he wasn't like wiping his shit on the walls senile yet but he was, <laughs> he was getting close man some of his stuff is just really out there i i like some of his early stuff that has, that it's so lighthearted and it doesn't even really have much sync sound to it like um Right. What is the Mr. T's movie? Immoral Mr. Yep. T's. Yeah. The Immoral Mr. T. Yeah. There's the stuff like that where it's just, it's so cute and so fun. And it's so, it just flies by. Um, I think we will probably do some episodes where we do like, a, I think we had talked about maybe a, a three hit. We'll do three of the movies in one episode as opposed to like we're doing with this John Waters thing where we take one movie and talk about it for an hour. Um, I just don't know if I'll have as much to talk about with Russ Meyer as I do with John Waters. John Waters is just, if you haven't guessed yet, listening to these episodes, is probably the single most influential person on me creatively out there. I, I think he's just amazing. I like people that take chances. I like people that raise their hand and flip a middle finger to everybody and have a big smile on their face for it. So looking forward to talking about a dirty shame, but I got to introduce last but not least, Miss Angelique Bone is here and her, her spirits are starting to rise. I have good vibes Absolutely. sending her way right now. How you doing, miss? I'm doing much better. <laughs> you know, had a couple of job interviews that went pretty well today. Got another one tomorrow. So, you know, I'm hanging in there. Good. That's great to hear. So now that we've got all of this verbal HJ action out of the way, <laughs> let's move on to the final movie of our John Waters director series retrospective. The Amazingly Filthy, A Dirty Shame. There is something wrong on Harford Road. Come on back to bed, Sylvia. What's gotten into you? There is a power that is growing. <laughs> threatening the very limits of family tolerance. Grr, woof. <laughs> and his name is Ray Ray. Perverts are taking over this neighborhood. Let's go Saxon! Fine Line Features presents... Sometimes a boo-boo on the head can trigger inappropriate outbursts. You got the devil in you, that's what you got! Tracy Ullman. I'm Sylvia Stickles, and I've got the itch! Come on up here and give me some of that strain. I'm coming as fast as I can. Selma Blair. I'm an exhibitionist. Go, baby, go! 
Chris Isaac. What's the matter with you? They like yodeling in the canyon. Oh, it's a sick world. And Johnny Knoxville. My name is Ray Ray, and I'm here to service you. Whoa, 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 whoa. From the director of Hairspray and Pink Flamingos. You're a freak. It's shocking. It's twisted. Dad, somebody's licking our tires. It's deep prey. Today, Harford Road. It's a dirty shame. Now, seeing how you are the virgin in our group here, Mr. Scott, would mm -hmm. you like to tell the Astro Zombies what is the plot of a dirty shame? <laughs> sure. What is the plot <laughs> of a dirty shame? Uh, so I, I guess um, ostensibly a dirty shame follows the story of Sylvia Stickles, uh, played by Tracy Ullman, uh, a sexually repressed mother and wife who lives in, I think it, it's still a middle-class neighborhood in Hartford Road in Baltimore, and she's sexually frustrated. And she basically takes it out on the world. And in fact, we see several people are taking their sexual frustration out on their plants and flowers and stuff like that in the beginning. But she's pretty much in this frustrated circle until she gets into a freak accident and she suffers a concussion. And the blow to the head <laughs> has triggered a phenomenon where she becomes a sex addict, basically. And she, uh, in that, uh, attracts the attention of a guy named Ray Ray. And now this guy is a quasi-religious leader of a, a group of, I guess you could call them fellow concussion sufferers, uh, who <laughs> also become sex addicts. And they're also Ray Ray's quote-unquote sexual apostles. Each one of them uh, is uh, devoted almost as if saints and nuns get devoted to certain uh, prayers and stuff. They have their own sex act that's kind of like that. Uh, there's 11 of them. Uh, Sylvia's going to be number 12. And Ray Ray believes that Sylvia can bring a new sexual act that's never been done before. So that's kind of like the framework of, uh, I think, a story that really goes in a couple different directions. And I actually feel that this is one of his more personal films. I think this is one of... A, a lot of people would probably do a major facepalm to what I'm about to say, but this is in my top three of John Waters' films. This is, mm -hmm. hands down, one of the most hilarious things I've ever seen. And to this day... It kills me. I rewatched it last night and I was dying from frame one yeah. to the end. You there's the, the main thing that hooks me in this film is that even though this is centered around, you know, the, this whole scenario where everyone in the entire neighborhood start like popping up as sex addicts. Right. You can really look at this movie as if it's kind of like a rework of a Night of the Living Dead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. It's it Night of the Living Dead meets Immoral Mr. T's. Yes, absolutely. Um, Andrew, when you look at this, do you think this is kind of like John Waters' ode to the zombie film? I mean, it's definitely got, <laughs> it's definitely got like, you know, the whole invasion of the town thing going on here, you know, the, so I, I, I 
totally see. I can totally see that. Yeah, there's there's so much about this movie that that knocks me flat. Um, the performances, as we've said before, latter era John Waters. Um, there's kind of it's kind of of two camps. It's kind of fluffy and, and doesn't hit as hard as it used to. And he still is bringing in this amazing talent and all of these crazy people to try and like mix it up and be a punk rock middle finger to everyone's face while still trying to make like this wholesome family film, even though this is a uh, NC 17 film, there's so much being pulled <laughs> at all sides on this movie. It feels at, at once like it, it, it could be something you could put next to serial mom. Uh, mm-hmm. And then it's probably the most raunchy film he's done since desperate living. There's just so much going on in this movie. Tracy Ullman, uh, who is the star of this movie, she plays, as you had said before, uh, Sylvia Stickles, this uh, suburban mom who hates sex, doesn't want to be involved in it, and then all of a sudden becomes a cunnilingus bottom, which <laughs> basically means a fire crotch, who like, someone who likes to get eaten out all the time, uh, once she gets a, a concussion in the head. Her daughter, uh, played by uh, Selma Blair, is plays the character Ursula Utters, who what? has the biggest breasts. You'll see this side of Double Agent yeah. 73. Mink stole in perhaps the funniest role she's had since Desperate Living. Oh, yeah. It was such an amazing return form <laughs> for her as one of the, uh, the prudes or the neuters. Yep. In Marge town, which neuter. are the normal people. Marge the neuter, yeah. Marge the neuter, just an amazing role. She's mostly been rele- relegated up to this point for a long time as just a tiny little uh, bit part, almost like a cameo in most of these movies. But here she get, she actually gets a big part in this movie. But I guess what I'm trying to say is there's there's just so much going on in this movie. Tons of characters. All of them are ridiculously bonkers. Some of the best dialogue John Waters has put together in some time. It, it is just nothing but depravity from frame one to the end. It doesn't really have much of a plot, but it doesn't need it. This is, for my buck, the return of John Waters and unfortunately the end of John Waters. Right. <laughs> so, Seth. What do you think of a dirty shame? I don't know how to how to follow that up because mm-hmm. I didn't care for it that much. Oh no! Yeah, um, I mean, this was you know the first time I saw it, like the last uh, couple movies. This was the first viewing, and the other ones I immediately wanted to go back and rewatch with commentary and revisit them. And this one I watched last night, and I was just I was okay with not going back to watch it. Um, I don't know. It it just felt like he was trying to do something too much as far as the sexual depravity. I thought some of the characters were great. I thought Tracy Ullman was excellent. Um was it Sylvia or Suzanne Shepard as Tracy Ullman's mother? Oh yeah. My favorite part of the movie. I thought she was absolutely hilarious as the main like neuter of the town. <laughs> and, the neuters were, in in my opinion, my favorite part, uh, just as a whole. But I, I don't know. Something just didn't click with me. Oh, man. Crazy. So 
do you think maybe it's just is it is it the style was it the delivery what it, it might have been the delivery it you know you, you you guys were talking about the you know, town invasion night of the living dead thing and i don't know i think i might have checked out before that even really hit me so i didn't get that so i i owe it another viewing for sure but as of right now the delivery was kind of hammy and not in a way i enjoyed could it be just the the actors kind of brought their own baggage to this and yeah maybe uh johnny knoxville doing johnny knoxville didn't work for me tracy Ullman, like i said she worked some of the actors worked uh selma blair didn't work for me i don't know it's just i, I kind of feel bad now <laughs> what, but Seth, what about what about fat fuck frank hey fat fuck frank is harford road <laughs> that, i will give fat fuck frank uh an absolute a plus because that's what i picture for that area oh my gosh fat fuck frank the the biggest fan of ursula utters who lives to see her dance and shake her tits to this girl is red hot your girl ain't diddly squat one <laughs> every time i even think about this movie it kills me i can't i can't even, oh man that's that that's too bad, Seth. That really brings a tear to my eye. Miss Angelique Bone, I, we have talked in the past, and you've made allusions to this being your favorite John Waters movie. So why would you say this is your favorite? Well, having the, the background at the, the sex shop uh, where I used to work and, you know, all the different fetishes and the war between the neuters and the the sex fiends it's just i don't know what it is this one's just it's number one um and the, the different versions of it make it even better for me because you've got the neuter mm. version that was released and then you've got the the regular version where you actually see the word boners spray painted on the parking lot wall and, <laughs> mm-hmm. <Right>. <laughs> and, and, and you know, when you when you get the the this uh to see the uh sylvia pick up the the water bottle with her cooter you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know? and the, the naked the naked orderlies and the the, the horny doctor humping the wheelchair is uh it's just it's hilarious to me it just is nonstop, like literally from frame one, every time someone turns around, somebody is doing something to something or saying <laughs> that they're going to do something to something. If it's not a bunch of big hairy bears growling at people, right. it's people <laughs> humping the air. I mean, <laughs> well, I guess that, you know, when your pelvic thrust game is strong, this this movie <laughs> really calls it home. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Scott, what what are your thoughts? I, I mean, you had made an interesting point about this being a personal John Waters movie. And, and we in the in the last two episodes kind of thought Pecker and Cecil B. Demented really hit close to home on what uh, John Waters had gone through early in his career and where he had come out at that point in his life. So to say a dirty shame, a movie that I kind of think is far more akin to desperate living than it has anything to do with some of this latter era stuff. Uh, what do you, what do you mean when you say this is a personal film for him? First off, I'll say that it's very appropriate to talk about desperate living with this. I guarantee you that if you were to take the dialogue of both of these movies and put them on paper 
and just give them to people, they'd have a hard time figuring out which movie unless they were big dedicated fans. Cause this is some of the best stuff that he's written about moral outrage <laughs> that uh, he's done in a long time inside of a dirty shame. But when I'm talking about personal, a lot of times when we say personal, the first thing we think of is uh, the portrait of the young filmmaker or something like that. But uh, say, I know that you guys talked about Pecker being personal and I agree that it's kind of a, uh, it would be a good handshake with this movie on kind of what I'm talking about, because for me, Pecker isn't about him being a movie maker as much as it's about him talking about how people, uh, the hipsters kind of commodified what he did. Mm -hmm. And so I look at the whole meaning of Pecker, uh, the the uh, real theme behind that and how it's personal is when he says at the end, and here's to the death of irony, because you have this whole movie that's really about how oh, now that the outrage is 20 years old and he's made Hairspray, I understand him now. And all of a sudden, critics are talking about his movies that would never give him the light of day. Uh, and that's what I think that Pecker was really about, where he actually loves this stuff, but he had a ton of fans that came to his, his throne and they really weren't into it in the same way. They were more snarky and mocking than what his, uh, he had a real uh, love for this kind of stuff. And so I see him as kind of pointing a mirror at uh, the new fan or the the sycophant fan uh, in, mm -hmm. with Pecker. And I see this movie as the same kind of personal thing. So if you look at John Waters' movies, all of his movies are satires of genres. So Serial Mom, it's a satire of the true crime movie. Mm -hmm. Hairspray is a satire of dance movies. Crybabies, uh, it's satirizing musicals. Multiple Maniacs, he said, was his Godzilla movie, which is why he had the National Guard chasing her at the end. Well, this right. one, and I think maybe this will go to what uh, Seth is talking about. This satirizes a movie that's real close to Waters, which is his roots, the sexploitation movies of the 40s and 50s. So it's very broad and very obvious. You have the words whore spelled out and stuff like that. And these are things that were happening uh, in these exploitation movies uh, that were happening in a time when the moral uh, uh, upbringing of everybody was very stiff. So if you went to see these movies, you had to see them uh, because they uh, were uh, supposedly showing the miracle of birth. But the reality is people are looking around the baby just to see the pussy. Uh, and you had uh, what were known as white coders, which was guys pretending to look like their doctors so that you could go uh, and safely watch and get your rocks off at the weirdness of Christine Jorgensen films and stuff like that. So this movie is like his version of that nudie cutie, immoral Mr. T's. And so in Mr. T's, he, he goes to the dentist, gets too much laughing gas and the side effects he sees everyone naked i only wish i could go to that dentist but uh, <laughs> he, he, he also uh, makes the movie into an invasion movie and what i see here is that he's not going back to just his movies he's going back to the essence of what makes john waters john waters instead of talking about the book shock value this is the one that's crackpot which is all about the obsessions of John Waters. And he has long interviews with Russ Meyer and he has them with Herschel Gordon Lewis. And he talks about all these sexual things. I learned about felching and all that from John Waters. <laughs> and so uh, what I think he's really talking about, you know, if you look at uh, say, I think when I listened to your show, you mentioned serial mom as being a Valentine or a love thing to the old fan. You get all of his stuff that was in his old movies. It's talking about Herschel Gordon Lewis and stuff like that. Well, I, I think that Pecker and this one are more like calling out 
with the fandom. So you hear a lot of people talk about John Waters' light and in his movies in his declining years, they're unfocused and all this stuff. And uh, and they're not they're not hard anymore. John Waters' light. But I think that it isn't that Waters really changed that much or has gone soft, but it's that pop culture and society is pretty much caught up to him. So you have post RuPaul's Drag Race, South Park, mm-hmm. Johnny Knoxville, all that stuff. So this movie is about how every sex act has been done. Ray Ray's looking for the one original sex act. It's like him trying to find the one thing that is going to make people go uh, stop saying, well, why didn't Kathleen Turner eat dog shit? You did dog shit early. You shocked me then. What are you doing now? Forgetting that we're the ones that changed. You know, society, uh, pop culture has changed and hardened up, uh, has gotten kind of crazy. And I think it also speaks to uh, the idea that the audience, you know, his villains are always going to be the same villains. The villains are always the people who don't want you to do things. They spoil your fun. The squares. But who the squares are. See, the thing is, we have an idea of what the squares used to be. And I think Waters used to have an idea of what the squares used to be. But that has kind of changed. And there's some really telling shit that's in this movie where you have uh, Ming Stoll, who was a teenager when the squares were square in a certain way. Now she's the square and she's even saying, it wasn't like this in the 60s. Oh, what, what 60s were you talking about? <laughs> so there's this whole apologizing or pretending that the 60s didn't happen in a certain way because you were born in that time. The people who were supposed to be sexually free have become sexually repressed. And they even do things like sitting there uh, at one point, uh, um, oh my God, Big Ethel is handing out flyers and she goes, uh, welcome to Harford Road where uh, life is cheap. So that's like the snuff poster, right? Welcome to Central America where life is cheap. Mm -hmm. In other words, this is, we are so oppressed. Well, there's no oppression happening here. They're just annoyed. But annoyance is the new oppression. And so uh, these people are like uh, the the people who used to think that they were uh, open-minded are now the closed-minded people. And even in being given an an NC-17 on this, the reason he got an NC-17 versus what he used to get bad uh, ratings or X ratings and stuff for has changed. And so who the bad guys are, I'm not saying that it's changed political parties, but it has changed uh, the people who used to be progressive have... uh, are no longer progressive. You know, tolerance has gone too far. And I think he's talking about that kind of thing in this movie. And I, and uh, when we get time, cause I don't want to monopolize stuff, but I'll tell you that I watched a dirty shame on Amazon and I got the NC 17 version. However, I put on the closed captioning. And it is sterilized, and it is hysterically sterilized. And I think the reason for that is because originally when they posted it onto Amazon, it was, in fact, the neuter version. Was it? Because this is astonishingly hilarious. If you take a look at the difference that they have, I mean, obviously, Fat Fuck Frank is going to be Fat Freak Frank and things <laughs> like that. Uh, but it's interesting to me because back in the day when Mary Avara was after him all the time, they were looking for things. What is that person doing? It was the action. And now it's the words. And so what I saw in this movie is that there's, yeah, he gets, uh, there's two uh, bear dicks in the movie. So obviously he's going to get an NC-17 just for that. But the way that they neutered it up, if that's the reason for it, every, uh, uh, something like uh, my my dick is made of gold is, I have a pocket full of gold, is what they put, <laughs> put on there. And I'm like going, holy shit, you know, it's, uh, it's not what you 
do anymore. It's what you say. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's interesting that he, I think he's kind of saying with this movie that, Hey, you know, uh, you guys are, so progressive allegedly but if i put all this stuff right in front of you you get bored you think it's old hat or you get offended and it's like it's the one last place that he could be naughty and i i I loved it for that so i felt that it was kind of personal and talking about how you know hey i've done all of this stuff and yeah an angry young man of 20 if i'm 20 years old and i'm angry that's sexy if i'm 60 years old and i'm angry i'm an asshole so I'm not nearly as angry as I used to be. You want me to be angry, but you know, there's no more sex acts. You guys have kind of caught up on me. Well, which is kind of funny that, that you say that. I think the early John Waters, it mixed kind of that the sexiness with a hint of violence and threat. And yeah. what is the new sex act that they come up with? Headbutting each other. I know, I know. <laughs> So so it is kind of like we're we're going backwards in time and making Sorry. callbacks. I think for the most part this movie to me was was even though if you wanted to get in cuz I think you you came up with some really brilliant points about what's going on in this movie if you want to really subanalyze this to how it relates to John Waters, his filmography, where he came from, where he was at the end of his career and it kind of encapsulates his entire kind of filmography in general. Uh, from beginning to end um, to me if you you want to break past that stuff and you want to just look at the story itself and, and look at the culture of uh, how puritanical our society is about sex mm-hmm. in general uh, every character in this movie regardless of the fact if they had gotten a, um, a concussion or they'd done anything they all had some sexual perversion in them so if we were mm-hmm. going to go look at early era John Waters, like you had said, and we were going to sit and look at what was what was nasty and what was dirty and what was subversive and what was his real his wheelhouse in that early era was the outsider, were the people mm-hmm. that didn't sit and hide what they were. They wore it on right. their sleeves. And here at at 60 or however old he was when he he made a dirty shame we've come back full circle to this idea that really it's the neuters that are on the outside of right. society because really every single one of us is a degenerate <laughs> in some way shape <laughs> or form andrew what do you think of this uh this whole notion that that scott's kind of brought up about how this encapsulates kind of John Waters uh, whole filmography and his whole philosophy. No, I agree with, I agree with all that. And it was, a, that was terrific. It was what I was kind of needing to hear. Uh, Cause I, when I, I saw this on opening weekend at the Terra cinema in Atlanta when it came out and I, you know, like you, man, I just, I thought like every single joke was hilarious. And like, it just, to me was, it was the John Waters movie that I guess I'd been wanting for a really mm-hmm. long time. That kind of, uh, you know, more of like, you know, shock humor or whatever. Um, but my, the one of the main reason I, I wanted to hear uh, more about, uh, you know, what he thought about it was just because it's going back to it. Um, I'm more um, like Seth. It just really didn't, it didn't work for me this time around. Hmm. What was it that didn't work for you? I think it was the cast. I think it was uh, the fact that Tracy Ullman and Johnny Knoxville are comedic actors in a comedy. And um, the reason why I love uh, stuff like Serial Mom and Cecil B. Demented so much is because his leads were, you know, not like comedians. 
and right. stuff. And so that to me was always part of what made John Waters stuff um, seem so subversive was because you had, he gets people to do shit like this that wouldn't normally do this kind of shit, but there's nothing really outrageous about Johnny Knoxville having giant fountain of comb shooting out of his head because he's on <laughs> jackass, you know, now if he had had maybe Hasselhoff doing it or, you know what I'm saying? Cause the <laughs> Hasselhoff taking a shit was great. Um, but um, <laughs> as a as a drop in future episodes of Astro right, Radio, right. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but I, I, yeah, I agree with Seth. The uh, Suzanne Shepard, Big Ethel, that was the funniest character to me because I mean I've seen her in movies like like uh, Goodfellas and stuff. You know, I mean she's I'm sure mm-hmm. she's done comedy, but I'd never seen her in a comedy, and she just seemed she seemed like someone had to almost like tie her up, throw her in a truck and like force her at gunpoint to be in this movie. No, I, I know she like really didn't want to do it and was second guessing herself. Uh, so, so, uh, but even, I mean, I didn't know that until later, um, but watching the movie, those are the, the, the things about the work for me. For the most part, it just seems like uh, hard, like, like Seth said. Um, and he's trying to be the John Waters that, that uh, he thinks he needs to be uh, rather than, telling a story and the same could maybe be said for Cecil B. Demented also and I came off this thinking maybe perhaps the last story he had to tell was Pecker and then he was just kind of going through the motions of being John Waters to make movies until he finally you know realized one way or the other that John Waters of today is just not a filmmaker anymore yeah that's that's the way it did for me but I all the points are great and I do I do agree with all of them and it was a fantastic assessment yeah, it's interesting to sit and look at it that way, uh, especially when at face value, it is just a raunchy sex comedy. So, I, I mean, there if you want to, and it's always interesting, and this is what we've said over and over and over again as we've gone through all these movies, is that when you sit and watch them and contextualize them in their place of when they were made and in the order that they were made in his filmography, you really start to see his mind at work progressively. You always see kind of certain elements of him pop out here and there in each of the movies all the way through that you don't really see in a lot of Hollywood directors whatsoever. He had a very singular vision all the way through his directing that uh, is pretty unique in this day and age for, for directors. Seth, um, did you think anything in here held a candle to earlier John Waters stuff? I think some of the characters like big Ethel, you know, we'll keep going back to her, but I think she's a classic character for me. Uh, just every time she was on the screen, I was enjoying the movie two or three times, you know, just a lot more when she was on the screen, similar to, uh, you know, the egg lady, when she was in pink flamingos, that movie was (laughs) substantially funnier just because, you know, Edith Massey was there and that's how she was for most of the movie she was in when she was there, it was even better. So there are parts to it that I really liked, but on the whole, I don't think it was as good as the, you know, the seventies and eighties stuff, but what Scott was saying really has me thinking that, you know, I need to give it another chance in a month or two after I get the, I don't want to say bad taste out of my mouth, but, (laughs) but, you know, I mean, his points were spot on. And even if, you know, I didn't care for the film, I was sitting here nodding in agreement with him. So it's going to get another shot from me and uh, maybe I'll talk to you guys about it then. But 
if it holds a candle to the older stuff, I wouldn't say particularly so for the most part. Uh, interesting. Well, if you, if you want to get that taste out of your mouth, definitely not go go check out uh, Ray the Rimmer. <laughs> no, <laughs> don't, talk <to> him. <laughs> don't, don't talk to him. No, but I, but I, yeah. I think the big reason why I, I keep saying that this is kind of a throwback to like Desperate Living and earlier John Waters is that stylistically, this film is very akin to that era. It starts off pretty much like a desperate living and also kind of like polyester in a white picket fence suburban uh, neighborhood the music the soundtrack is so indebted to that early era john waters of the the 50s and 60s beatnik kind of rockabilly rock and roll that we we in doo-wop and all sorts or all that stuff that we have been missing for so long we had just talked on the last episode we did of john waters on cecil be demented how that soundtrack missed it it, it didn't even feel like john waters was a part of it because mm-hmm. we grew up and we we've grown through these episodes to see that the soundtrack and the music is almost as much of a character as anyone on screen and to have that missing is why i think a lot of us kind of felt a disconnect with that last movie and this movie felt like I was rolling home. We have such an amazing soundtrack of old school music. Andrew, you got to admit this had some really great stuff in it for music. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's no, there was nothing, there was nothing out of place about it. Like, you know, in terms of a production and it looked like they had a blast making it. I bet like, I bet if I was sitting there at the table read of dirty shame, I would have just been on the floor. You know what I mean? Like right. it looked like it was a, it was a, a blast to do the whole thing. And, uh, but, but just like with, um, just like with the humor, how they just, he seems to like take every joke and kind of, he, he, he beats too much stuff on the head. It's like, it's not enough to say we're bears. They also have to say grr and all this other stuff. I'm like, all right, homie, I get it. That's enough. I get it. Like, don't, you don't have to explain everything. And maybe it's just cause you know, we're in the internet age now. And so stuff like that is not going to age as particularly well. Cause everything's ever heard of this. And then the story stops while he informs you about it. Like right. now nah, I, I do know actually, maybe not then, but now I do. So, but like, there's a part where the cop, um, that's in the uh, diaper is sitting in his car and he's got the mm-hmm. diaper on and then the song is about a baby or something. I'm going like, I, yeah, I know, I know. Okay, I know. You did find a song very appropriate for this moment. So it, <laughs> it, it, it is, it's, it's fine. It, I, I, I appreciate that about it. It was just like, it, it just, it, but still, it was too, you know what I'm saying? Too on the nose, too, too, mm-hmm. too much like that. Scott, what do you think uh, style-wise of this film, akin to some of his earlier work? Okay, great. Uh, first off, I, I want to uh, agree with uh, both Andrew and Seth on this. When I first saw it, and I saw it opening weekend, I was one of the $10 that went to the $24,000 it got the first day. That's how bad this movie tanked. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was really bad. Really, so, uh, really bad. If you look at the numbers, it's shocking. Yeah, uh, it's like people went out of their way to not see this thing. I didn't really, you know, when I first saw it in the theaters, I thought it was fine, but I felt it was very slight. You know, I liked it a lot when I saw it. I laughed all the way through, but when I was done the next day, I was kind of like, eh. So I really haven't seen A Dirty Shame in years. 
Uh, and uh, watching it again is when I really started getting a, a feel for it. It may be that to me, it feels like it's time has kind of come because of just how on the nose social worries and politics seem to be as of right now. So it seems like it somehow feels like these are the people that are out there as of right now. And maybe back then it didn't quite feel that way. But I will say that it is very much on the nose, but uh, that's been Waters forever. Uh, I mean, uh, back before he could have sync sound. Uh, he was mm -hmm. using songs with the exact, you know, wording uh, of what people would say. Uh, that was the the lyrics were pushing that along. Well, Mondo Trasho, that was the yeah, entire story thing. of that movie was the soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, Mary. That's the only thing that was recorded. And I thought I was going to go insane if he said it one more time. Oh, Mary. Oh, Mary. But I will say that this, uh, the look of this, it's funny that I heard people talking about the, the sex acts. They kind of went too far and stuff because I think that's kind of where he wanted to go. I think it made it uh, it's kind of like we go, well, that's funny, but oh man, don't tell me that you shaved your balls. You know, I don't need the, uh, the, the guy to tell me that he shaved his balls, but that's pure, uh, that's pure waters. And uh, I think that it actually looks better than a lot of uh, the Waters films do. I think that there were a couple shots in there that I said, oh my God, he learned how to do a crane shot. When did that happen? Uh, but I will say that it is also in a way, I, I feel for these two guys that said, hey, they didn't they kind of uh, was too much on the nose or kind of put them off because the jokes are there. Uh, but something about how unpolished the movies used to be helped as well. Mm -hmm. And so well, when it you also helped the, that the actors weren't these well-known actors, they they kind of right. embodied these roles that they were in. The style was, you know, they screamed all of their dialogue where the, the acting in these latter era John Waters movies were much more nuanced. Mm -hmm. I think that he enjoys like how we like Big Ethel. I think he likes Big Ethel too. I think his favorite part of this movie is coming up with dialogue between Marge the neuter and Big Ethel. They have the best lines. And I think the movie does hop to life because you've got tension. You know, uh, and it is rough, like watching the movie uh, in the beginning, you're seeing it through uh, Sylvia's point of view. Right. So she's pissed off at the world. She's frigid. Of course, the bears are going to growl. Of course, the guy down the street is going to be walking with his ass hanging out while taking out the trash. She's seeing everything wrong and it's like an invasion. It is coming in. And then when she becomes permissive, it's a little weird, like blowing her nose and throwing it at the human. To uh, <laughs> May I please be your vacuum cleaner? I mean, that was harsh. Hey, I've Daddy, watched. there's a guy licking yeah. the tire. <laughs> right, right. These things are making me like, oh, that guy was the most disturbing to me. And I'm going, holy shit, I watched Divine chew a dog turd and I saw it on his teeth and I my eyes teared up. This makes me want to turn it off. What has happened to me? <laughs> For me, it's the adult baby. I can't, yeah. I can't even get behind I that. love when the adult baby is actually holding a kid. That was awesome. Yeah, that was cute. <laughs> Yeah. Don't, like here. <laughs> don't you think that's funny though? Because we want to be, we're, we're not the squares, right? We're not squares. And yet John Waters is saying, well, I know exactly how I could keep you guys on my side. I could just talk about uh, the lesbians and the gay guys and I can have the guy fondling meat. And that's kind of funny, but let me get under your wheelhouse a little bit. And we start seeing things that I don't want to know about like Roman showers. <laughs> I laughed out loud, but I mean, at the same point, do I really want to know? about that so how open 
are we? How permissive are we? Are we really going to support like uh, Sylvia Stickles is going, oh, I'll come back and, and uh, powder your ass later. But really, I have to come up with a new sex act. So uh, at this moment, I can't do it. I'm not that permissive. I don't know, man. I think this movie it was so far ahead of its time because we have come to a point now in our society where every single um, gender, every single sexuality, every single sex act has to be labeled, has to be mm-hmm. spoken right. of in a very specific way. And it all has to be respected. And I think that's being spoken of here. Yes. Very same much here. So yes, that's, that was the big takeaway I, I had from a dirty shame was it was trying to normalize sexuality and um, the perverseness of the, the varying degrees of how every single person has their own kinks. Most people have a one idea of sex, but there is an infinite <laughs> amount of variance right. on that one thing that by the end of the movie, what what else could there be? What else really could there be? And obviously we find out it's headbutting each other and right. uh, giving each other concussions is the new sex act. But um, that was the big takeaway for me was that when you look at it through the guise of where we are now as a society, as as a politically correct and sexually open society, that this was speaking about where we were going well before we got there. Mm -hmm. Well before we got there. Yeah, and that's the thing is that we get the jokes so well with Big Ethel. I mean, uh, it's not safe out there. People are shaving their crotches as we speak. There's pubic (laughs) hair in the air everywhere. I mean, I'm dying listening to that. But then the guy says, uh, I just shaved my balls. I'm like, dude. You know, TMI, go over there. Yeah, take your rattle and run on. <laughs> oh my God. said differently. I'm going to go call the Postmaster General if he's not whacking <laughs> off. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just endless. So let's go ahead and move on from the heady talk and let's talk about, we always talk about on these episodes our favorite characters in each mm. of these movies. And this movie has just a fucking plethora of them i'm gonna go straight to angelique who was your favorite character dora the chronic masturbator (laughs) (laughs) i have a swedish headache (laughs) oh this yelling's giving me a swedish headache (laughs) you ever jerk off when your hands asleep feels like someone else is doing it The point where she's standing there and she's masturbating herself without her hands and how joyous she looks about it is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. When she's choking herself out with the phone cord in the phone booth. Oh my God. Absolutely hilarious. That whole group, the, the whole Sex Addicts Anonymous group, that's just, oh man, that's the best. Seth, who would you say? Uh, I mean, it's got to be Big Ethel, but really her and Mink Stoll as Marge were just fantastic together. Big Ethel at the Sex on uh, Sex Addicts Anonymous meeting when the uh, phantom pooper of Harford Road came clean. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and uh, delivering the paydays. Yeah, admits <laughs> that he had not been flushing. And, <laughs> that was you? Oh, I can judge that. That was <laughs> <laughs> Ah, I love that. And he talks about the uh, doing the upper deckers and uh, just Big Ethel reacting to the upper deckers. 
<laughs> Dude, when I first saw this movie, when it first came out, when that Upper Decker talk came out in the paydays, I literally could not breathe. <laughs> I was laughing so hard. <laughs> it is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Now it's, I remember it being such a huge part of that movie, but now I watch it. It's literally two lines of dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> and then he gets really happy and takes a shit in somebody's handbag. <laughs> <laughs> And it's Tackleberry. Oh, my God. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it's Tackleberry. (laughs) I didn't catch that. Oh, my gosh. I didn't catch that either. Are you serious? Yeah, it's Tackleberry from Police Academy, which I'm like, that's perfect because I can see him being that repressed, you know, because he was pretty uptight in those movies that, you know, in his older age, he might have, the only thing left was pooping. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I, that's something I loved about this is that everyone had their singular fetish that they played to such an extreme that it encapsulated their entire character. It was just it, there was something so pure, so fun about that in this movie. Uh, Scott, who was your favorite character in this? Oh, uh, I it's it's hard. I would pick all of the neuters because they are a uh, they're actually in a way they're the comedy uh, because they're offensive. Right. They're they're up. They're upset is so offensive in its own way. And they say it's so deadpan. So the things that really light up uh, in that movie for me, really big Ethel uh, and Marge, the the neuter, uh, just the idea of being proud to be a neuter. It's such a, a tongue in cheek kind of thing about how people are, but the best lines are said uh, by Big Ethel. I mean, uh, lesbians have taken over the softball fields. She just kind of says that out of the blue. It's not safe out there. People are, I don't think she says the shaving the crotches, but we have blatant homosexuals inside our store. They eat life, you know, sperm, you know, (laughs) and it's like, these are hilarious things that I'm sure he's heard people say in all seriousness. And all he does is pump that up just a little bit. And someone left a dildo in my neighbor's wishing well it's like what's good about a morning with dildos in it you know these are freaking hilarious lines and uh, what was it when uh, uh salma Bear, blair is uh she gets hit on the head or they're ready to give her prozac and uh big ethel's like going you know how embarrassing this is one nymphomaniac in the family is enough but two and then vaughn goes uh it's a disease ethel and goes and she goes being a whore is a disease it's like <laughs> You let strangers put their germ-filled mouths on your uterus? I mean, that's friggin' gold. You got a demon in your cervix. <laughs> yeah. These are great. I mean, uh, outside of, like, Dora, who has uh, awesome lines, too. I don't know if anybody has lines that are really that strong. My clitoris is in crisis is a pretty damn good one uh, from uh, from our, our main character. But I think there's a lot of love of just how crazy and and rude they can be for all the sex acts and stuff. Uh, really, some of the funniest stuff is the rudeness uh, of the neuters. Apps, I couldn't agree with you more. One of my favorite lines, uh, my favorite is Marge. It's Mink Stole. Uh, Mink uh-huh. Stole literally seals this fucking movie away. And her part isn't a very big part. But every time she's on screen, the things that come out of her mouth, she has not been this on fire with her dialogue, what was given to her since Desperate Living. Literally, this movie, yeah. she is. Uh, there's one scene 
that kills me. And you kind of already made reference to it when uh, Vaughn comes into uh, the, the quickie mart and says hi to Big Ethel. And she says a whole line about what's good. What's good about a morning with dildos in it. And some <laughs> random shopper comes up and says, amen to that. My husband's on Viagra. Yeah. <laughs> I am oh, Viagravated. You're all, oh, you poor thing. He wants it every minute. And then Marge, <laughs> she goes, he has no right to be that hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which may That's be one awesome. of my favorite lines of this entire fucking movie. What's the one? Uh, something says that the average married couple has sex 100 times a year. And that can't be true. They'd be rubbed raw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally every time Mink Stole is on screen, it is just pure hilarity. Andrew, who would be your favorite? Um Caprice without a doubt. Ursula Utters. She's my favorite. Oh wow. Yeah, Selma Blair. I just I like I I think the most I'm the most comfortable with this movie is as uh, the idea of it being a, a, a satire on uh, sexploitation, you know, or or his kind of take on sexploitation movies. And the Caprice character, obviously, um, we already mentioned it, reminds us mm-hmm. of, uh, of of Chesty Morgan. Chesty Morgan, yeah, yeah big time. And, and to me, that's just great because, of course, those are my favorite kinds of movies. And so just <laughs> how freakish they made her, how well those effects work, just how what Selma Blair did as an actor doing that uh, again, you know, she's not like some com- comedian or whatever. Johnny Knoxville would have put those on, but like seeing Selma Blair put them <laughs> on, uh, it was just to me one of the great, the great casting um, that happened in uh, in in the later era. John Waters seeing her do that I was just like, man, that's talk about going for it. You know what I mean? It just was a it's a wild image and a great character. And um, just seeing her dance and stuff, those those parts to me were just very sublime. Those are the parts that seem to hold up the best to me. It's like a movie could come out next week about that character, and I would be like, couldn't wait to see it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let, we we can't forget to make reference to some of the really fun little cameos that happened. Oh movie. yeah. Let's talk Gene about Hill. the fact that Gene Hill comes back. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we keep talking about uh, desperate living and to mm-hmm. see Gene Hill in that sequence where all of a sudden Tracy Ullman comes around to this guy <laughs> that wants to eat her out with the fierceness and she comes out with a broom and starts hitting yeah. him with a broom. <laughs> no, you don't motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Give me, give me some of that strange. I'm definitely going below 14th Street. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was wonderful seeing her out of nowhere. Um, yeah. Mary Vivian Pierce mm-hmm. as the non-judgmental ex-sex addict at the Sex Addict Anonymous meeting. Um, she yeah. very bit part in this one. Yeah, she got paydayed. She was the one who got paydayed too. Yes. <laughs> Well, Fred oh Strother, the guy that said the strange line, he was in Hairspray. He was a cop yeah. in Hairspray. Oh, yeah. Canning Wilroy in the beginning. Come on, you neuter. I got a date. Yep. Oh, yeah. The guy in traffic, yeah. It's 9.30 in the morning. <laughs> right. <laughs> she tried to grab get my nuts. You put on makeup. <laughs> and the peeping Tom from Serial Mom. <laughs> that fucking you know? guy. Yeah, when she throws her bra out of the taxi into his car, and he's like, "Uh." (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that. (laughs) This literally was like the last hurrah. Like, he was trying to bring everybody he could into this thing. And it was, for me, it was a joy to see all these people show up. I kind of got sick toward the end of 
this run of movies that we watched to see Ricky Lake just show up as Ricky Lake in a TV show. That kind of felt cheap. It's too famous to to be able to come back, you know. I mean, I from what I read, um, they really were rushed into making this movie. You know what I'm saying? Like they just did not have time. It was like a super mm. fast production and a lot of like nights and stuff. And so it's probably it just was a scheduling thing. It sounds like they just had a you know, this is a very quick down dirty uh, kind of shoot. Right. I'm surprised that this got made. I got to be honest at the time that this was made, this kind of thing wasn't in vogue. We, we weren't to the point where we were having raunchy sex comedies everywhere. Once like the, what, what were those Zach Galifianakis movies? The, um, the hangovers, uh, hangovers, the hangover movies and all that. And like, uh, this was after American pie, wasn't it? All that yeah, stuff where it just it was secondhand, right? where guys dicks hanging out and people doing crazy shit and nasty raunchy sex comedies were the thing again. This was way before it, so I'm shocked that something this out there got made. Well, Orgasmo didn't do well either, and it was an NC-17, very raunchy. Right, but they also did an R-rated cut of that one. But I don't believe that even got a theatrical release. I think that went straight to video. I saw Orgasmo in a theater, but it was just like with Dirty Shame. It was like two theaters were playing it. You know, you have yeah. to drive like 45 minutes. Yeah, it was nowhere around me, man. There's definitely neither of those movie, these movies came anywhere near me here in the, the wilds of Wisconsin. Well, only an art house would play an NC-17 because the chains don't because uh, right. they can't advertise it. And so like and the art house crowd doesn't want to see stuff like that. I don't mind seeing wieners. So it didn't bother me. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to use that drop. <laughs> I fully, I fully support male nudity. Oh my yeah. god! Well, let's let's talk about the fact that this was given an NC-17 rating, and we've made reference to the neuter version of this movie. I see watched an interview with John Waters where he made reference to the fact that the neuter version was the worst movie he could possibly ever make. Like he intentionally made it as horrible as he possibly could. It, because once he handed this off to the MPAA in order to rate, they literally told him there would be nothing more than like 10 minutes of film left after they cut out right. everything that would offend what they thought would would wrangle it into an R rating. So for so he took that as a challenge and decided, you know what? I'm going to make the worst movie I possibly can with the R rated cut of this movie. I uh, for NC NC17 movie it's pretty tame. It's not NC17 because of any nudity whatsoever. Kind of like um you don't think cuz I thought it got it because of the one dick uh, that's in it. It possibly yeah, could be, but I, it's well, a two-dick two movie. Yep, two dicks. <laughs> but that's not the reason it got NC-17, supposedly. It was well, that's a base of tone. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, an interesting point, right? Uh, because I've heard Waters talk about that, and when I was rewatching it, because I didn't remember uh, the uh, the two dicks either until I saw them. <laughs> this is an interesting conversation, but uh, you know, uh, the when I saw those, I went, "Oh shit!" Well, that's like uh, that's they don't have to enforce it, but that's their out every time. They can just say the two dicks. But when he talked about the uh, censorship, he talked about this is corporate censorship versus the censorship that he had against uh, Mary Avaya, who was uh, basically looking to see 
the naughty stuff. These guys gave him notes that he couldn't do anything about. These are smart people is what he would say. And he said, they would just say the general tone, the overall tone of what's going on. We really couldn't give you any real notes on exactly what to cut. So they ask you to cut your own throat, which is, you know, how, uh, how that works, but it is the idea of censoring, uh, by way of economy. Uh, in other words, you're not going to be able to be in the chain stores uh, or not the chain, chain cinemas. Uh, you're not going to have uh, advertising uh, anywhere and you're not going to have critics. Uh, for the most part, major critics are probably not going to be able to do anything on it. So it kind of knocks it down uh, quite a bit. But I think that in a way, this movie does feel uh, nc 17 in this time frame right now because of all the language that's in there the things that they're talking about i i feel that that makes people queasier than actually seeing nudity and stuff like that well it's the the abhorrent behavior that i think i find hilarious but can make people really upset it's like man talk about sex things get a, a little bit weird talk about bizarre sex people start coughing and leaving the room and uh, i think that might be one of the reasons that he ended up getting that uh, and the reason i say that is because i actually took notes and uh, when we're ending i'll probably just say a bunch of them but they're my favorite <laughs> lines of how they changed it uh, on the closed captioning. And I didn't get the neuter version, but it may be that the closed captioning is from the neuter version, but it ran, you know, 89 minutes. So that's the that's the un, unrated thing. But watching what is being seen as the closed captioning versus what was said is another movie itself. Uh, I would almost recommend it to people to watch that almost like, uh, you know, what was that old thing, putting uh, Dark Side of the Moon and Wizard of Oz on at the same time. <laughs> it's kind of like that. But yeah, I, I think uh, it did have a, uh, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't graphic sex, but it was so much end to end talk about sex that I can't see how he thought he wasn't going to get an NC-17 in a way by putting in those two dicks as well. <laughs> <laughs> two dicks. We're going to keep coming back to talking about them two dicks. Yeah. Well, that and, and all she wanted to do was get off. There was no right. love interest. There was no, it didn't have to be your husband. It didn't have to be, you know, it could be whomever. She just wanted to get off. And, you know, that's a big deal to the MPAA anyway. Well, it's a big, big deal to puritanical thought of how sexuality should be monogamous sexuality. And in this day and age, that's not a shocking thing. I don't think that's as big a deal as it was back in 2000 or whenever this was made uh when what 2004, 2004. Yep. when the, when this was made um it still is to, to a vast majority of quote unquote neuters out there uh <laughs> this is, that is a, a a weird thought of having a monogamous or a non-monogamous I can't even say it now that I said monogamish. I totally, I can't even say I can't even say it anymore. Monogamish. Damn you, Dan, Dan Savage, you've ruined me. Um, but there's, <laughs> but the, really, there's some people that'll never get over that thought where I think, at least this is where I've always gone with this movie, is that this movie breaks down that idea that sex has to be one way and one thing. Because it's not. We know this because we're human. And every last person we've ever been with has their has their own kinks, 
has their own ideas of what they like, has their own ideas of what gets them off. And we just, we just don't talk about it in the open. We do more so now because of the internet. The internet's there to shine a light on all of this. Anything you ever possibly want sexually or could think about is there. It's on the internet. Bright, bold colors and in full motion video. <laughs> it, it, it's there. So the idea of the end of this movie, trying to find that one last thing that hasn't been thought of, this movie is so firmly a part of where we are right now. Let's it's it's opening that door to, you know what? What is what is so dirty about any of this stuff? Really? We all talk about it behind closed doors. We all think about it. Maybe I don't think about things like um felching or splashing. <laughs> <laughs> or even shrimping came up again in a really funny little throwaway well, line. Everyone sucks toes. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, but but I think that is the that is the big thing. And this is a thing that I've been saying throughout this entire course of episodes is that John Waters wants to normalize what most people feel is on the fringe. And sex is something we all do. But because of our, our puritanical ways of, of religious thought and repression, for some reason, we feel we can't. Why? It, it, that's what makes this so funny to me. It's like, this, what is so wrong about any of this shit? I don't, I, I've never gotten it. And that's why I enjoy this movie so much. It's like, open the door. Oh, let's just be who we really are, as opposed to having to sit and hide and and think that we're so dirty for having these thoughts and having these feelings. So dirty shame to me is literally the best way John Waters could have. And I feel so bad that, that you guys came, walked away. A couple of you guys walked away, not liking this one because to this day, this still holds up for me. It still has that real punk rock edge to it. And it it still has that open-mindedness and that whole flip the finger to the outside, well, to the normatives, which is the outsiders on in John Waters' world. The the normal people in John Waters' world are the people that are that are Roy the Rimmer and uh Mr. Upper Decker <laughs> and, and things like that. And, and the squares are always the people that he wants. To, to say fuck you too. So um, I think it's a great way to come back and, and, and say goodbye to John Waters is, is a dirty shame. So let's go ahead and let's round this episode out and let's give our final thoughts on everything and uh, whether or not we walked away. I think we've kind of given our, or shown our cards as to what we think of this movie, but <laughs> let's go ahead and let's give our final thoughts on, on a dirty shame. Angelique, you go. Love it just hands down you know it's funny it's got its very sweet moments um that scene where caprice is watching the red shoes yes just really you know like oh okay well she just she's a dancer and she likes this sweet little calm little moment and then my girl is red hot you know <laughs> your girl ain't diddly squat, diddly squat. <laughs> no no it's just it's a good movie and you know it's about just being true to yourself and fucking well i mean that goes without saying lots of fucking 
and bear quakes and bear quakes bear soup (laughs) (laughs) safe sane and consensual although that line did kind of get crossed with the home invasion thing oh yeah but eh, you know that that's been an ongoing thing and in the john waters early flicks so not that big of a deal but the the sex fiend parade i'd have been in there mr seth paulin Hmm. final thoughts you guys have given me a lot of uh different ideas to think about with uh the context of the movie and everything in it so while i didn't enjoy it uh, it's definitely gonna be something i think about the next time i go back to uh, give it another chance and uh, i appreciate that Awesome. Uh, Mr. Andrew Shearer. Uh, for the most part, um, doing this whole series has caused me to, um, when I'm revisiting stuff that weren't initially one of some of the ones that were my favorites, I had came away liking most of those a lot more except for Crybaby. So w- this was kind of a disappointment for me to, to kind of uh, feel the way I did of, about this one. Although, of course, there are things about it that I think are hysterically funny. And, and you know, uh, for just a movie, not a John Waters movie, but just as a movie, you know, it is really, really funny. Um, but it did actually, the fact that I enjoyed it as much, made me feel better about, and I don't want this to sound horrible, but about it being the kind of last one. Because it really seems like John Waters was just going pedal to the middle, emptying his notebook of all the things he ever wanted to say and do, and just, you know, cobbling it together into this kind of story of a film uh, to be his, like, kind of last thing. And so, you know, I was like, wow, should Pecker have been the last thing? Because of how kind of sweet it was and how polished mm-hmm. it was and how uh, kind of sentimental it was. Like, ah, it doesn't seem like John Waters' style necessarily. I think it all boils down to the John Waters that you like the best. And what's great about a film filmography like this and how varied it is uh is that you can really find what it is you're looking for you can find the john waters that you're looking for and so a lot of people who want that john waters um got it with this movie and i think considering the way he began uh this was a good ending yes i i agree with you totally scott final thoughts yeah, uh, so I, I was really happy that I was able to get to see this movie. I, when I first was told, oh, it's going to be a dirty shame, I'm like, ah, all right, yeah, that'll be fine. It's, I, <laughs> I wasn't that big on it you know, when I first saw it. But going back to it, I was going, oh, my gosh. You know, I, I had a renewed interest in it. I found uh, the things that were funny, uh, twice as funny in some places. And I really kind of liked uh, it has this strange Marx Brothers anarchic end. And I didn't really get that the first time when I was watching, you know, uh, I have to say the first time I saw it, the headbutts disappointed the hell out of me. I was like, that's what he came up with. We've just seen a guy eating ashtray detritus and stuff. And he comes up with headbutting. Uh, and this time it was silly. Yeah, it was much funnier uh, in this weird way. But I love when people are running around and all of a sudden they all come together and they form the word sex from above. It feels so like, break not only just breaking the fourth wall but like really uh, we're leaving now we're taking the sets with us this is it this is the end of the movie uh we're, we're throwing all caution to the wind so i was really happy to see it it's not one of my uh top three uh waters films but it is up there and i am really excited uh to have been able to 
be reinvigorated on something that I really wasn't that high on in the first place. And I do think it has enough of the old waters uh, and it does have, uh, I really like what somebody said about the tenderness of Selma Blair. Uh, I was thinking back on it and realizing that uh, they had this really tender moment, her and her mother, and it's a funny laugh out loud thing, but Selma sells it completely. Love that uh, in the movie. She was like almost in another movie. She was kind of sad and or, or emotional, that is, about her mother coming out to her. And it was really, really neat that he uh, went down that thing. And uh, that's enough for me. I think that when you guys talk about that moment between Selma Blair and Tracy Ullman, I, I can't end this without talking about how amazing Tracy Ullman is in this movie. She starts this movie as this completely unattractive, frumpy, angry woman. And even though she becomes this this trashy chick, it's 